If you like sports talk with absolutely no sports talk, welcome to the Just Not Sports podcast. This is the show where a couple guys who work in sports talk to the people who play and cover sports about anything they like, just not sports. On today's show, we'll discuss and digest the sports world's reaction to this historic presidential election. And we will long for the days last month when our biggest racial issue was Chief Wahoo. We will slam some hammers, give you some distractions, and so much more. I'm your co-host, Brad Burke. I'm a sports marketer in Chicago. And getting the gang mostly in the same room this week for the first time in a few weeks, looking at me across the table, it is our co-host, a leading sports media strategist from the University of Colorado, the Green Bay Packers, and many global sports brands. It's Adam Willard. Adam, where did you watch the election? At home by myself. Sounds fun. Did you ever? Did you ever think about going out? No, no. Uh, I, so interesting sports comparison. I generally don't watch sports with people either. Uh, if it's a meaningless game to me, I will. Uh, if it's a game that means anything to me, uh, I will watch it by myself. And this meant something to me. I felt it for me. I would. Would have pref- I just w- preferred to watch it on my own. Now, the few times I've taken you out to watch football games. Yeah, we've watched the Bengals. I've gotten you, like, viciously <laughs> bombed. Viciously bombed. Mm-hmm. That might contribute to you not wanting to go out with me. No, that's because we were watching the Bengals. And one time we ate wings that were so hot you had to go home. Well, I challenged the cook to, I was like, I like real hot stuff. Bring it. And, yeah, I, there's, a, there's still a lawsuit pending. Adam... Covered in tears and snot, trying to eat these wings and crying. And then you went to the bathroom. I saw you spite. You drank a pitcher of ice water and you just got in a cab and went home after throwing up, right? I puked in the sink. Yeah. But I ate those. You were stone sober, too. This was like an afternoon. It was like 4.30 in the afternoon. But I finished those wings. You did. You always you always finish the job, man. That's Like a real you. idiot. Uh, also with us in our Brooklyn Bureau... Still counting hanging chads in New York. It's Gareth Hughes, our Emmy-winning sports producer. Gareth, you watched the election at an outdoor party at the corner of Clinton and President Street. What was the vibe like there two hours into the last night? Uh, first of all, there's no hanging chads in New York. We know how New York voted. That is, uh, That was a quick count. Um, yeah, I'm with Adam. Usually I don't like to go to parties um but you know what this is uh it was uh starting in 2008 i i felt really i'll be honest with you i've I've been really inspired by the obama years and just sort of the um the example he uh, that he has set as a leader and kind of as a moral leader um in 2008 i dress up and wore a jacket and tie to go vote and then I've done it every election since. And I like it. It's just it kind of reminds me that this is a big deal. I do it for myself. Um, but it's something that's gotten friends attention. And so yesterday I went to do that and my kids really noticed my daughter, who is five, really noticed. So she put on a dress and she has fluffy the class 
ti- stuffed tiger with us this week, and we have to take pictures of all of Fluffy's adventures. So we took Fluffy and went to go vote, and she just got really into the process and was really into the possibility of a girl president. And so all her friends and the whole neighborhood was turning out to this party, hoping for the best. And so we went to President Clinton and we left pretty early because it was like uh, I described it to another local parent as like a cute shit show. It was too crowded. Um, You know, like the kids all had their fun and then they could barely stay awake or anything like that. So we headed home at about 830 at about nine. The news started to get very bad and I was very happy to be home. Um. Yeah, I guess that's sort of that. That was the election night. So, well, thanks. Do you want to read it? Do you want to read us your dream journal now too? It's pretty thorough. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, you know. Um, yeah, and just answer the question. Just like next I, time. I found the whole experience. I mean, we're going to get into this yeah, in no, distractions we'll get, we'll and poetry, it. but like I, I just found the whole experience to be fairly surreal. But it, it was really it. It just had a huge impact on me yesterday to try to, and today, really, to try to explain it to a child um, who's followed enough of the election to know the characters and that it is going on. That was heavy. So, yeah, there you go. Absolutely. Joe, how about you? Where'd you watch? Hold on, wait. Also with us, Uh, our producer extraordinaire. Our fourth co-host, the fourth estate, if you will, Mr. Joe Reed. Joe, where'd you watch the election? Uh, I watched it partially at a bowling alley. I was bowling with some friends, free food and drinks. Couldn't turn that down. And uh, as we were wrapping up, I checked Twitter and a lot of the uh, you know, political analysts I follow were saying, oh, this, this is unexpected or this does not look good. And that's sort of when I became worried. So I zipped home and watched it from like 10 until 3 when he, uh, when Trump came out and accepted. Up till 3 in the morning, man. I did not have the the energy. I think at 1 o'clock I, was, I went to bed. Yeah. I just, I don't 11. know. I felt like, uh, I was. Ta- we were talking at the bowling alley about how, Gareth, I mean, you'll probably feel similarly. Maybe you guys do. I remember very vividly where I was. First time I voted was, because I'm young, uh, in 2008, Joe, you looked at me like I, I'm going to stop that. I'm not. Oh, thank you, Adam. This, part, of this, <laughs> part of what I learned recently is we got to we got to stop some of that. So oh my gosh, you're too kind. It. So voted in 2008. I remember very vividly like what my election night was like, and like on col- on my college campus, like the whole dorm floor, like just buzzing, all the friends and everything. And then same thing for 2012. I remember very vividly. I was in Los Angeles, California. What restaurant I was in? Who I was with? Watching it on TV. And last night will be no different. It was like, I will remember the night very vividly. I got back out of bed to go watch him accept the nomination or accept the presidency. I was like, I got to watch this because it, whether you like it or not, we're watching history being made. So, yeah. See, back in my first presidential vote in 2000, young people didn't vote for shit. So I was the only person in my off campus house <laughs> at school who was registered locally and voted. I went home and everyone's like, What are you doing up so early? And I had like the only one who voted. And then that thing didn't get decided for like a month until the Supreme yeah. Court figured it out. So well, God, uh, that was a stupid election. Yeah. Oh man. All right. Well, <laughs> we'll talk more about the election and the specifically get into some of the kind of the sports world and how they handle it later. Uh right now, we're gonna move to 
our hammers. As you know, we don't just invite people on the show behind the scenes. We do it for your listening pleasure. We call this process slamming the hammer. Adam, I'm starting with you this week. Slam the hammer, buddy. I'd like to uh, interview uh, former Seattle Seahawk, uh, Pro Football Hall of Famer, and former politician. Who can I guess? Steve Largent. Steve Largent. Uh, Steve, Lar- Steve Largent. Steve Largent came out <laughs> in support of Donald Trump. And uh, as we'll get into later in conversation, I'm really at a point where I want to understand why. Legitimately, uh, for all the extremists we hear and the the, the deplorables and, and their hate speech, um, I do, uh, having visited Wisconsin this weekend, there are some people I respect who voted for Trump. I'm still really having a hard time understanding it, but right. I would like to. Steve Largent seems to me to be a reasonable person. He's also a guy who played with African-Americans. How do you get to a, a position where you're okay endorsing this person? I, Maya Hammer's the same thing. Kurt Schilling now has joined officially with the alt-right on Breitbart.com. And say whatever you look. When we talk about the election, just a level set, because we've got listeners that are probably more conservative. We've had Natalie Gulbis on the show. Yeah. She spoke at his convention. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying you can't be Republican or can't be conservative. I think that Trump's candidacy was unprecedented in in the areas it went into in the areas of um alternative media on both sides that it uncovered and in the rhetoric and in the um in the way it redefined what experience was necessary to even you know run a credible candidacy for the united states let alone be to um someone who's been in the mainstream of american politics for 30 plus years uh kurt schilling i i i thought you know, here's a guy who's joined up with Breitbart. He has redefined his he's redefined his personal brand as, you know, alternative right politics. Uh, and I'd be fascinated to talk to him about why um, and about where he where he hopes to go with that. Um, <clears throat> if you would ask me before, I would have said, OK, you know, who knows? But with Trump's presidency looming. I don't know what the alternative media landscape is going to look like moving forward. And certainly I would say that. There's a higher, you know, buy now <laughs> component to it than I might have done if um, this sort of movement had just receded into uh, as a, you know, into time as a momentary blip. But I'm with you. I, I, I would, I was thinking, sure, come on the show. We'll talk to you. No yelling or anything like that. I'd just be fascinated to know what the aspirations of the presidency are. It was very hard to actually find his platforms given how much he just kind of talked in circles throughout the campaign. So I just was, I'd be curious to see if his inner circle knows mm-hmm. Joe Reed slam the hammer, buddy. No hammers. I got nothing, man. I, uh, yeah, I got nothing. You want to just invite like Tyler Eifert on or John Daly, somebody else who supported. Yeah, sure. Don- I did think Donald. about that. I did think about like, my first thought was like, uh, Brady or Belichick. Um, cause then there's a whole, I don't know if Brady has confirmed that he, we're going to talk about this. Okay, because the then, like, Giselle wrote that they weren't going to do it, and then, like, Belichick confirmed that he wrote him a letter, which w- surprised me. Wrote who, Tom Brady a letter? Wrote Donald Trump a letter. Oh, yeah, yeah dummy. Also surprised um, me that we're still talking about this, but I just said we're going to talk about this in the next segment. Hey, anyways. I'm kidding. It was interesting. She was probably a new part of our government. Go for it, bro. <laughs> yeah, uh, but I got, I got nothing official. That's fine. Gareth, right. Gareth uh, slam the hammer, buddy. I have an official hammer. Um, 
I loved one of Brad's distractions recently, which was the Washington Post presidential podcast this election season. Um, Brad is a history buff, and that was a great scholarly look at presidential history. And it gave a lot of context to both the office and the men, because they're all men, who have held that position. And um, one person that came out in that that I would like to talk to and in the spirit of reaching across the aisle and getting to know someone you might not have always liked, I would like to invite George W. Bush on the podcast to talk about quitting drinking and running the Texas Rangers. Um, As I have talked on... What's that? No painting. He uh, under our bylaws, I would say he can't talk about running the Rangers, and he should yeah, talk about whatever. Call painting. it an opposite day. Call it whatever. Yeah, really, I would like day. to talk you about. Know, we do that. One of or, our many and painting. Days, we can yeah. talk about all of it, but I, I'd really like to talk to him about what made him stop drinking because I was as it was described in the podcast episode about him on the presidential podcast. He woke up one morning and looked around and saw that he wasn't taking his life very seriously and drinking was getting in the way of him being a better father and husband. And I've talked on here about stopping drinking and I can 100% empathize with that moment of clarity of, Oh, this second job I've given myself is really getting in the way of my life. So I'd like to talk to him about his experience with that and then how it affected everything he did going forward, running the Rangers running the country and becoming a Sunday painter. So I always thought co- that is my hammer. I always thought cocaine is why he stopped drinking. <laughs> we can ask him when he comes on the pod. <laughs> if you got someone you want to talk to email us, just not sports at gmail.com. Find us on Twitter at just not sports or just reach out to the people and say, come on the show directly slam the hammer yourself. Right now we're going to take a quick break and then we're coming back. We're not going to go to, ape shit on the election stuff. I think there was just so much of the fabric of of social media on the election was tied to a lot of sports figures. This is probably the most not stick to sports election we've ever had and I think from a sports culture perspective it's worth breaking down. So stick around and get out your uh, your final you can scratch some of that final election week itch after the break. In an election that included more bizarre, unexpected, and bonkers moments than any in American history, you just knew the whole thing would come down to one thing. The fucking Patriots. On election day, the internet exploded when Donald Trump read a letter of support from Bill Belichick and then cited an endorsement from Tom Brady that was quickly refuted by his supermodel wife, Giselle, as alluded to earlier by our fact checker extraordinaire, Joe Reed. Yep. It was just one example of the sports world getting involved in the political race, which has really been happening this entire election season. Everything from Natalie Golbus, friend of show, speaking at the Republican National Convention, and LeBron James, future friend of show, hosting a last minute (laughs) rally to vote in northeastern Ohio. So today we're going to discuss the role sports played on this, you know, I guess you could say probably the most polarizing presidential election we've probably seen since John Adams versus or John Quincy Adams versus Andrew Jackson. Let me start with Gareth. Gareth, 
Who do you think Tom Brady voted for? I wouldn't be surprised if he didn't vote at all. Um, I think. Come on, Tuesday's an off day, bro. Not a whole lot of excuses. No, no, no. Honestly, like. You've got to go to Best Buy to get DVDs. (laughs) I I was listening to a lot today, like, of post election coverage, and people were talking about how Hillary was basically a Democratic cipher that would just take on any idea to try to win. I think Tom Brady um, truly doesn't. I, I think he's more worried about his brand and not offending anyone than taking a real stand. I mean, he's from Northern California. That would suggest Hillary. He's Donald Trump is in that locker room all the time. I mean, he, I think he and Robert Kraft are close friends. Um, it just like, like it made, it did not surprise me that Bill Belichick wrote him a letter and then to hear his, uh, his explanation. I mean, like I've logged a f- lot of hours of Patriot locker room stuff of, of Patriot locker room footage. And I've seen Donald Trump in there plenty of times. So the fact that there's a relationship there, whether you think it's a good thing politically or not is no shock. The one thing about this election is I felt <laughs> like all, all sports media had carte blanche to say whatever they wanted to say. I never felt, um, even though the stick to sports stuff started and you'd see it every night on election night, I think, I feel like that all stopped and it wasn't a whole lot of what are you doing? It was more, I think we as fans have become calloused to seeing media and athletes jump into the conversation a lot more. We're looking for it. Mm -hmm. And there's just a cavalcade of really interesting tweets, some funny, some insightful, some horrified, some excited all like on both sides of the aisle from the sports world. And I just hope that trend continues upward. You are an athlete or a coach or a a media member or whatever, but you're an American and you should, and you're a human being and you can be allowed to have opinions about the nature of our government. And I I was very encouraged to see a lot more especially media than ever um, say, Hey, screw off. I'm allowed to have an opinion. And if you don't like it, just don't follow me. Which was good. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I, I've lost my train of thought. I'm also just struggling with what to say. Um, I think it's interesting how much we're talking about reporters being on social media. And I think social media um, as part of this election has been a really interesting thing because I've heard a lot of people say, well, at least there's some discussion about politics. And I would say, I haven't seen a lot of great discussion. I was, I think we all are generally, we all follow people who share the same viewpoint we have. So I think part of the problem here and how this happened in the first place, by the way, in case the audience didn't pick up on this, none of us voted for Donald Trump. Um, <laughs> are we allowed to say that? Yeah, at I, least publicly. I think it's pretty clear where we stand on issues like women. <laughs> yeah, respect for women and <laughs> minorities. Um, I think the the dangerous part of this is we talk about the uneducated who voted for Trump, uh, but then the staggering numbers of quote unquote educated people who also voted for Trump, and maybe they're. Maybe they're right, and maybe I'm wrong. 
Um, but I think we all need to challenge the way we think a little bit. And I think we need to, to reevaluate how we're being informed, quote unquote, and educated. I'm not sure Twitter is the best place to receive education. I think we're all looking for um, affirmation and not education. Um, but I would just ask all of us to uh, challenge our viewpoints. Maybe we're all wrong. Maybe this is the greatest thing. Maybe uh, us in this room, this is the greatest thing to ever happen to our country. But I'd also say, like, maybe pick up a book that shares a differing viewpoint. We all have our egos so involved in needing to be right about this, and our egos are all personally damaged from our candidate not getting in. But part of the problem is the division in the country, um, and we're all educated based on how we want to be. And 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 uh, I don't really get the perspective that we are seeing both sides of things. This past weekend and the past uh, past year, I finally talked to someone voting for Trump. I don't agree with his viewpoint, but it was the first time I actually had an intelligent conversation because I think I've generally avoided trying to avoid trying to uh, talk to people who vote for Trump. Uh, maybe that's can, not the best way ask, to go Adam? about this. Yeah, yeah. What reason did they give you for voting for him? Uh, the same reasons I've heard, which is, well, he's going to be an agent for change and Hillary is crooked. So that's why I don't necessarily right. like the reasoning. But again... It's pronounced uh, Hillary, by the way. <laughs> Again, I uh, I get most of my news from Tyler Eifert tweets. I, I would I, I would ask <laughs> I would ask everyone here when's the last time you challenged your assumptions or when's the last time you're like you know this is something I've believed my whole life and I was wrong about it. When's the last when is the last time you've been into a neighborhood that maybe you're not comfortable in? Because I can tell you it's happened to me a lot. And uh, even though I admittedly have an ego and we all like to be right. I think we don't all need to start challenging our assumptions about the way we see the world. Yeah. I think that's all fair. No, I totally agree. I think that was great. All right, let's cut it. Actually, I want to talk about about these Joel Embiid tweets. Look, your point is well taken. I, I will say that I thought 2012 was the first real social media election. Mm-hmm. And I, I do think 2016 is the first curated social media election. Yes. Meaning I saw less dissent than ever on my own feed. Yes. And I did challenge that and I went looking for it. And it was oh, like, yeah. And oh, I, I don't necessarily seen... mean you because yeah, I no, know but you. I mean, you I, are... I did go and say, oh, where's, where's so and so? Or I don't, I haven't seen this guy posting, you know, Benghazi schemes in a couple months. And you realize the algorithms are, are siphoning these things somewhat out. Now, we are also we work in media. I do follow a lot of people who don't share my views just to just to to mm-hmm. keep up on it. I agree with you though that a lot of people don't, and it becomes very self affirming. I will say for all the hand wringing about the 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 role of the media in all of this, and there's a ton, and there's a ton more coming. Um, I have a really complicated view on that because I I just at the end of the day think it wasn't that hard to figure out like where Donald Trump's position on grabbing pussies was. Or, I mean, he did a lot of things that were extreme um, for a presidential candidate and that were selectively ignored. It is impossible not to have been exposed to all of that behavior and to still have made a conscious choice. And I do think that goes beyond just curation. I'm not saying you were saying it's limited to Mm -hmm. that, but that's why this election is so bizarre is that it's a Rorschach test and I feel like 
there's a, or as Nate Silver says, um, you know, in his book, that the, there's the signal. Uh, Hold on. Can we get into him in a second? Yeah, because he's he's with ESPN now. But you know, he he said in his book, the signal and the, and the noise. Like you're you're looking through all the white noise, looking for the signal. And I feel like no matter what you want to say about this election, you can go find evidence to support it. If you want to say that it was the media's fault or social media's fault or it was yeah. it was Joel Embiid's fault or Demarcus Cousins' fault or Tom Brady's fault. There's some sort of demographic thing you can probably point to and say yes. I think we have to do some like hitting the brakes and and decompressing and then then saying how did we end up in a situation where uh and politics aside where uh you know half the country or thereabouts voted for someone who was a complete outsider to the system and um and what does that mean for the system moving forward and by the way we're not going to break it down and get to one answer right because it's not one answer. That's right. That's it's a, I mean, uh, I, there could be so right. many answers there, that I, I worry anyone's going to draw l- their own conclusions there, in their own vacuum. There's a lot of reasons. And I think yeah. that is the true value of education um, is to be a critical thinker. So we all went to college, sure, to be trained for a vocation. I was, went to school to be a broadcaster, which is why I'm a co-host of the number one sports pos- podcast in the world now. But <laughs> we're, not, um, we're not a sports podcast, FYI. Uh, we are just not sports podcast, <laughs> although it's, listed it's, under sports. It's not just sports, Adam. Oh, the whole time it's been not just sports? It's a new category. What if you? What if that's how you found out you were dyslexic? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, continue. Uh, no, I have a lot of relatives who write not just sports. Today. <laughs> Me too, yeah. Um, mm, lost my train of Education. Education. Uh, yeah, the best part critical about thinking. going to college is being a critical thinker, and some and and now we want to make issues so simple, and we want to boil them down into a uh, a Seth Meyers Facebook piece video about Trump versus Hillary, and that got sixty million views. And well, that's it. That sums it up. No, that does not sum it up. There's a lot of information to boil down. So cherry picking the information that suits you is right. not the way to go. You might have to take some time here and really think through both sides of this issue. Uh, and you know what? You're probably still not going to get to a definitive answer, no matter how right you want to be. When I was at that party at President Clinton last night, and I thank the organizers. I think they put more work into it than I did. But at one point, the guy who had set up his projector, like he, you could see his his uh, feed on CNN.com and he still had his John Oliver Trump filter on and it was just projected out on this whole street. And I was just I, like totally face palmed. And I was like, man, I mean, I want the guy to lose, but let's be a little less on the nose with this. C- could we people? Um, and I think that, you know, to quote PFT commenter, goes both ways, man. Hot takes go both ways. And I think on all sides, we need to get away from hot take culture. Um, which I guess brings me to the other major media story that's going to come out of this, which is the data. And last night was a bad night for data. Um, I mean, I think most people are saying that 538 was more bullish on Trump than most sites. But even then, going into yesterday, they gave Hillary a 70% chance of winning. They missed Florida, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, and Michigan. 
um, as I recall, in their state predictions. And I know they've been saying throughout the campaign that Trump is an outlier, but they missed huge swaths of the voting public in their polling. And so did the Democratic Party, and so did the New York Times, and so did plenty of good polls. And so it's also really interesting because 538, as you said, is owned by ESPN, and Nate Silver got his start writing for Baseball Prospectus and doing baseball analytics. But more than any sport, it's interesting to see politics is going to go back to more of – I think you're going to see more of like a gut feel and – this is what's really going on out there with the average man kind of view of journalism. And it's going to happen under a regime that is definitely going to be unfriendly to that. And that's one of those things we need to watch for. Um, Great but the, the role of data going forward is definitely under a microscope. And I think even more than 538, somebody in the DNC needs to say, what the hell were you thinking? Because um, you had all the wrong information. You were totally wrong. Yeah, I I give them a little. I give five thirty and and all the data folks a little bit more credit. I give five thirty more than most because Nate was getting killed for trying not to be wrong by those on the left that were saying a ninety eight percent probability for Hillary Clinton. And I felt it was the, I felt it was the exact opposite. He was hedging his bets in terms of saying there's a volatility to this election cycle, which if you're if you're just ignoring, then you're not it where have you been for the last year? I right. just think the way we Oh and poll, he owned some of their early mistakes in a big, yeah. big way. And the way that we poll has to adapt with the way that we're changing as consumers with everybody on mobile now and self selecting what you what you opt into, what you opt out of. Maybe people are lying to pollsters because they're concerned about the data being collected. Well that was a point that was made last night was there's obviously a huge portion of the population who voted for Trump who are not going to talk to pollsters. They're not going to answer their phones because maybe they feel disenfranchised or they don't trust the media or they don't like, yeah, this data was not collected from these people. It's like you're, you're sampling 90% rather than a hundred because that 10% just doesn't want to talk to you. So how do you, for some right reason, so how do you get, to, I don't know. I, and I, I think this is the end of 538 with ESPN. I don't think they're going to carry them through another four-year cycle to get to another election night when I don't think they moved the needle like they had in the years past. I also think the 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 data, I don't know, man. The election is such a bummer because I I feel as though every single day is this race to what's the latest saying, and it didn't take into account that a lot of people seemingly – we talked a lot undecided voters, and I was saying forever, I don't think there are undecided voters, but maybe people were deciding whether to vote. Maybe people were just deciding, um, you know, uh, am I going to vote, you know, libertarian or am I going to vote for Hillary or am I going to vote libertarian or Trump? And who knows how things worked out? I, I just, th that goes back to what we said about the Rorschach test. I think a lot of people are going to rush to, it's going to be a race to say who's first to say what happened. Um, from both sides, because let's not forget that like you have a presidential candidate who, as of two days ago, was in a very public feud with his, his party's Speaker of the House. Mm -hmm. like, Donald Trump is not the part of a Republican revolution. He's part of a revolution. <laughs> and so I think, um, or at least an uptick in, in disenfranchised voting that we haven't seen before. So I just, I, I feel like right now you're going to see a big race to conclusions, and I don't think we're going to find easy conclusions at all. No, not for four years. <laughs> right. 
Do you guys know what percentage of eligible voters did not vote? Probably like half, right? It was like 47%. Yeah. Mm -hmm. How many of those were black voters or minority voters, which is even the sadder part, a a group that feels so disenfranchised that they feel like voting uh, makes no difference at all. In 2008, the talk about race to me was the negative talk about race was offset by the positivity around we are ready as a country for a black president. Yeah. Oh, President Obama has these viewpoints that are appealing to whites and blacks. This felt more like a a referendum on race from the we need to clamp this down. And the, the rhetoric seemed from from the negative, starting from the negative side of the coin. And I think you look at sports being predominantly African-American in so many different sports in this country, mega stars who are taking part, LeBron ho- and J.R. Smith hosting rallies. Um, other athletes coming out, John Daly publicly supporting Trump, Natalie Golbus, others. I just wonder how are the African Americans? Well, they're not black, so don't send me an email. I get. It. I was just <laughs> I'm running out of black people, who are, black athletes who are supporting Trump yeah. pretty quickly. Did Omarosa ever play anything? <laughs> right. <laughs> so, um, I guess I I just don't really know what it. This was an intersection between athletes getting very involved outwardly more so in the past than in the past in politics. And how are they going to sustain that now that a very racially pro polarizing candidate has won? Does that make sense? Uh, yes. I think to answer your question, so not necessarily tied to sports. I think, yes, there was more racial tension in this election. My feeling is this, um, when Obama ran, it was, again, on the campaign of change. Oprah endorsed him. Um, and you might say he was an acceptable black man for office. Um, I think the problem with Trump, uh, or maybe not the problem with Trump, because one, one of the things I wonder is how much of a racist is he? So if he, let's say he is a racist. the start of a joke. No, no. How (laughs) racist is he? So let's assume that he is a racist. That's terrible. Let's assume that he's not, but he's using this to pander to the people who we think will vote for him. That's even more shameful. And I see in media, um, if you look at a show like Duck Dynasty, I've stopped listening to country music because, uh, for the most part, because a lot of it is about like, this is the neighborhood I live in. Uh, I'm not going to change. This is how I feel. And for that matter, hip hop music, uh, I'm just going to do me. This is how I am. So I think we've moved towards a place of willful ignorance. And when you have a guy running for president who is, as I've heard from his supporters, tells it like it is, whatever that means, his version of reality. I think it gives those people who maybe were afraid to state their opinion. Uh, they're not happy that they can say nigger again. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's, uh, I don't know. There's not much to say. I think race, race and gender in this political climate right now are incredibly difficult to wrap your heads around and incredibly difficult for just me, the white guy to try and even empathize with, you know, it's, 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 it's just, if it's the difference between like, you know, 
seeing well, it and feeling it yeah or, or like uh, like being anxious about it but also or being scared of it like i don't, I don't know yeah so well, I, I i would uh, could one thing i found very interesting last night on twitter and it's gone on was like and i am totally in the line of fire for this but i there was miles brown whose twitter feed i love basically tweeted uh, he writes for SB Nation. I think he's a copywriter, but he was like, oh, white people, you're you're shocked by the racism and sexism of this election. Like that is what y- y- you have now felt like a minority for an hour. Um, yeah. And that was really powerful to me. He's 100 percent right. And uh, look, there's a lot of on one side of this. There's a lot of white privilege to sort through. Um, on another side of it, there's like already some uh, just hate speech that feels really emboldened right now that I think we're going to have to be really aware of. Um, yeah, here's the thing for me. So uh, I tend to dismiss that as um, being completely ignorant. I think what is really interesting for me as someone so I, I i'm my, my father is black my mother is white i grew up in a mostly uh white and hispanic neighborhood uh at some age you realize that you're different um but i generally uh got to a point where i didn't think about race on a daily basis and the older i've gotten the more i've realized that i am a black man living in america i think as scary as that hate speech is the things that disturb me in daily life and it, uh, and, and not in a joking way, but the culturally insensitive and ignorant things that I've heard as a marketer sitting in meetings and heard a group of people mm-hmm. described in a certain way or we're going to market to an urban audience in a certain way. Even I urban, think, just like, like in air quotes, urban meaning black. Yeah, or yeah. like, well, this is a... Um, this is a budget brand, so the demographic is different here. Yeah. Um, the the uh, unintentional racism, and that's why I say a few minutes ago, educate yourself really on how small your world is because it's not just the country singer singing about, I live in this pickup truck. It's the person two blocks from us who lives in uh, a penthouse um, and never really gets outside of the loop to, to explore a different part of life and really doesn't want to. Um, I think that's what we all need to challenge ourselves to do on both sides. Yeah. And, and 538, a few months ago did a, a podcast where they said, are we living in 1968? And I told someone today, I said, I feel like we're living in a new version of 1964, meaning we're at the forefront of a new civil rights activism that has a, a lot of nuances that a lot of Americans are discovering for the first time. Like I think the the black lives matter, which has been raging now for years, police brutality. These are daily occurrences for a large segment of our community that a lot of us have just now being exposed to in new ways. And there's also a lot of different feelings about it than just like we joked about this a few months ago, then just, Oh, I don't see color or I, you know, I'm progressive. Like it's not that simple. The same thing goes for gender politics in this country and, and, and uh, gender identity. These are new civil rights movements that are happening in America um, that are not just 
it's not just like I'm with it or against it. A lot of people are just confused by it all. And they're not necessarily, like you said, trying to figure out what's going on. We have, um, you know, just like 1964, we have a global economy that is rapidly changing in ways that people feel threatened by and people feel scared by um, for their own, you know, just sense of self and their own community. And the difference is this time we didn't elect Johnson. We elected Goldwater. And now we're going to go into these movements with the opposite side of the coin. Michelle Beadle posted the picture from Stranger Things of the upside, upside down, down realm. Yeah. And I looked at it and I said, and I know given our talk, like it's not like you should be identifying just with like Facebook memes, but it was a nice illustration of just a lot of us woke up today and said, the host of the celebrity apprentice, a man I never took seriously as a, a, a political figure in America is now in 18 months turned into the president of the United States during mm-hmm. a, super polarizing time how did we get here and you said something really interesting where you know, maybe people joke about not seeing race um and you have a lot of people who are like no i don't i don't judge someone based on their race or gender or see them as any different start right we you'd talked be about amazed before. if how much people will open up to you if you ask them about their struggles being a woman right. um uh Hispanic, black, uh, the challenges they have had. And that's not to paint, that's not to paint all of those groups as people who have unique challenges, but certainly unique perspectives. And we have to, we have to start talking to each other and, and not pretend like we're not different. We're different. We should, we should embrace that and talk about it. It's not just a struggle for equality. It's a struggle for equality plus identity, plus a million other things that I probably don't even recognize yet. And I do think that that's, freaking people out because they probably are yeah those are uncomfortable conversations to have and if you can curate your world you don't want to have them they're conversations also that we've avoided as a country for going on 240 years like they are seriously uncomfortable conversations that largely white people feel uncomfortable having uh because there's a lot of guilt and repression and class and all sorts of crap wrapped up in it I do want to, if it's all right with you guys, I would love to just kind of go over some of the sports world. I mean, we're taping this the day after the election. I do think this was a historic election, no matter how you feel about it. Um, And the sports world was active leading up to it and active in their reactions today. Um, So one of the most striking to me was uh, Stan Van Gundy, head coach of the Pistons, who's playing in Arizona tonight. And uh, he had the following to say. For our country, be where we are now, that we took a guy that I don't care what anybody says. I'm sure they have other reasons and maybe good reasons for voting for Donald Trump. But I don't think anybody can deny this guy is openly and brazenly racist and misogynist and ethnocentric and say that's okay with us we're going to vote for him anyway look powerful words from a coach i applaud him saying this and that, that's not to say that i don't applaud people who have a view of opposing viewpoints from speaking out their minds too but i again i feel like this election is like a lot of elephants in the room and to just say that it was a demographic shift or it was this one issue or whatever like there's a lot of people here today that are freaked out because you know, a party nominee said they're going to deport him 
or you know, the the, the president yeah. elect said they want you to deport you, or they want, or or they they made fun of. I mean, he made fun of disabled people. We've never seen rhetoric like this. We used to get freaked out in 1992. People freaked out because George Bush checked his watch during a debate, and Bill Clinton played the saxophone. And now we're talking about. The, you know, He's calling Donald her the devil. <laughs> Donald Trump said calling he was going to throw her in jail in a, in a debate. He said, "I'm going to have a, a prosecutor, and he, you're going to go jail. to jail." And whether you want to say it was a joke or not, these are these are moments that are giving people anxiety. Um, and that is, but he's just keeping it real. No, he's keeping it 100, 100, 100. Saw lots of those He's emojis. He's just telling it like it is. What do you right. think the disadvantage now, I think in the uh, second part of your question, Gareth, we'll get back to your athlete thing real quick. Like, what do you think the disadvantage is for athletes moving forward? You sort of asked, like, do you think athletes will now be a little bit more outspoken now that we're sort of entering this sort of new cultural space? Um, I, I'm I like playing it through that. my mind. Like, I, if I am a Trump supporter and my, and my starting quarterback on my, low, you know, my favorite football team, is outspoken. How does that change? How, how does that change well, fandom or how does that change your interaction with well, your audience? Like, let me stop you right there before you answer this. You guys are all Cubs fans. You guys just won the world series. You're all excited. How do you feel about Jake Arietta offering to move all of Hollywood out of the country? Yeah. And Dan Bernstein, friend of show got back to him. Chicago sports personality got back to him and said, I don't like I don't like you saying this because I feel like it's anti-Semitic and you know like you're are you just implying like Jews get out and I know that sounds like oh he's just being offended we're really well a lot of Trump supporters are support are posting Pepe the Frog stuff and Alex Jones from Infowars is openly talking about um, the role Jews are playing in the election media cycle the rhetoric has been so turned up that people normally I, I will say oh look people get easily offended in this country like we need to tone it down but People are jumpy. Um, Joe, to answer your, your question, I want to talk about black athletes for a second because those who have stepped forward for Hillary Clinton, I'm looking at like LeBron James, for mm -hmm. example, yeah. who for all the shit that we've given LeBron over the years, um, here's an athlete who stood up and gave a ringing endorsement for Hillary Clinton after winning a championship, knowing full well he probably didn't need to do anything to, to mess with his brand. Yeah. The shift, though, becomes... It's easy to be the voice of perceived common sense and the voice of the front runner. It's a lot harder to be the voice against the establishment as for a marketer, you know, a marketing, you know, institution mm -hmm. the way that these big athletes are. And I just wonder, will they be a checks and balances or a vocal opponent to the Trump presidency if this rhetoric continues in the Trump presidency? Well, you touched on it. I have a very simple answer and, and, I, and I believe we talk about things not being black and white, but I think the answer is pretty simple. How much money, how much guaranteed money does that guy have coming to him? Right. To me, it's as simple as that. LeBron can afford right. financially yes. to say that. Um, Iman Shumpert, until his first platinum album, cannot <laughs> say that. Second. But I out just, of fear of... That thing. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I, I, I guess I wonder, yeah... I guess sort of, you know, individuals on teams might, I don't know. I guess I just think like, it just seems interesting to me how like someone who has such a, probably a diverse fan base, LeBron James, Cleveland fans, fans of all races, ethnicities, gay, straight, like how, uh, how 
I don't know how how it would what what is that what is his audience th- what has been the the ripples that have gone out in his fan base just LeBron's boop circle. Um, well, will it change? Will it change his brand much? And will Jake Arrieta like will will like left wing left leaning Cubs fans be like fuck that guy? It's like you know what he has. Could that sort of could the fandom? Here's this is maybe where I'm getting. Could like my affinity for Brad, my my fandom of his athlete role be a bridge between like I clearly disagree with what LeBron is saying but I am a fan of his objectively I like what he does so for I'm my just, city I'm li- I'm willing to listen to him but like yeah it's like I'm not going to hate the, like great I question. I hate what this guy thinks but like he won me a champion like that I mean, to me look, that seems like a a yeah. little bit of a bridge there I could be way off I don't it know It does but we don't Whatever. I mean yeah. but people are so jumpy to like block you or say stick to sports or whatever that's why i go back to i think the best thing that we saw was no don't stick stick to sports it's american life you can have an opinion about Agreed. american life and you can have an unpopular opinion you can be kurt schilling now y- y- your institution well, that- <laughs> your institution of espn might also drop you because they don't value your opinion but that's their freedom too like but i i just yeah, feel like I guess, you, yeah. you should be I, I do want people i want athletes to if you if you said it now say it later and I, I was disappointed. I was out hunting for the athletes supporting Trump the day leading into it. Mm-hmm. And I did see a lot more come forward after the win. I think a lot of people were holding back yep. and saying, yeah. like, you know, saying, oh, well, yeah, yeah, I kind of supported him, but whatever. Now that he's president or, you know, this big rousing victory, it came forward. It's like, if you were supporting him, just support him. Like, like, let's just have the discussion, but don't hide it and then you, you then say it when it's safe. That doesn't do anybody any good. What I find fascinating in this election is I think, and there's a lot of paranoia right now out there, and I think some of it is justified, about what dissent under a Trump presidency will be like and what the freedom of the press will be and things like that. And I think that athletes because of the money they have and because of the the groundswell of social activism that has taken place in athletics in the last year or two and the protests for Black Lives Matter and things like that, I think athletes are going to take on a greater role and are more protected to have a voice in this coming environment. And I think people like LeBron James, J.R. Smith, I think you're going to see a lot more of this, and I think it's fascinating. And I look forward to seeing that kind of leadership. I think this is the beginning. It is not going to go away. I think this is only going to multiply. And um, I'm looking forward to it. I think it's a long time coming. Yeah, I agree with you. Uh, so a question for, all, for any of you. Um, one of the great American sports traditions is the visit to the white house from Mm. championship team. Will we in the next year see members, uh, most likely minority members of championship teams refuse to go to the white house to visit Donald Trump? Yes. You'll see a women's championship team refuse and you'll see, Certain individuals refuse, and they will be they will get the full Kaepernick, mm-hmm. like the full oh, 
everybody's talking about it. Let's go 24-hour coverage on this and make this one small act of civil defiance that doesn't need to affect anybody a national talking point until everyone's so exhausted by it that we just can't even talk about the issue anymore. It's funny that you mentioned that because on ESPN, I don't know if you saw this, LeBron had a little, it was a little short little feature out on how he was like, I'm looking forward to another visit to the White House. I want another championship because I want to go back. Yeah. And I watched that like in between coverage last night. I was like, oh, let's just see what's going on on ESPN. Watched Mm -hmm. it. And this was sort of earlier on in the evening, but like I had that same thought. I was like, what the hell is going to happen now? It's interesting that you bring it up. I think, I think, I think the Kaepernick point is interesting, too, because the first time I thought maybe Trump could win is when I saw ES or it was a, a poll that ESPN showed that the number one reason that NFL viewership is down. This is a Yahoo poll. It's an no, online poll. Yeah. I, yeah. The, but sorry, what people sorry. said. Why? Yeah, but the number one reason given was because of players not standing for the national anthem. And I, I don't thought, believe that at all. It's just I think that's, that's a yeah, I was gonna say that is no. a crock of shit. That's an online. <laughs> that's the result of people like Breitbart finding that like and that poll and just clicking the hell out of it. People are not not watching NFL games because of national anthems. They probably don't even see. That, well, that's I my hope point. That's not true. Yeah, it forces you. It forces you to to either pick a side. I'm gonna root for LeBron despite my differences, or fuck him. Or it forces you to sort of reconcile the difference. Like, it, what other area of of pop culture can do that? Like, mo- like your favorite actors? Not really. Like, Not sports really. is uniquely uh, 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 suited for this, and mm-hmm. it's highlighted now that we're talking yeah. about. It. I don't know. Let me let me close this out with. Um, let me close this out by t- describing two different tweets that I saw, and I've a question for the first year. So Enos Cantor posted a picture of the U.S. flag where all the stars were that sad Jordan face. <laughs> and then Sean Merriman posted a picture of Hillary Clinton with the sad MJ face. Where do we stand as a country on the MJ face, Mame? Like, do you guys, Adam, do you think it's it's played out or do you think played you out? See, I'm all for the meme. I really? want it to keep going forever. I want it to become a permanent fixture in our cultural dialogue. Why? <laughs> I'm joking. I love it. Okay, fair Put enough. Put the fucking MJ See, face on anything. I will. We I will can be like, agree sure. to disagree. Weren't yeah. you there for that speech, Brad? I was there that weekend. We did a program with Jordan. I should have stayed for that speech. If I had been there for that speech, I'd be way more into the uh, MJ meme uh, than you currently than are. I currently am. <laughs> and then let me to, to close all this out. I think it's been a good dialogue. Um, we're gonna rip the bandit off here and probably not come back to this. For we're gonna get back in our regular just not sports stuff. It's just everyone's talking about it, and sports was obsessed with it. Wait, wait, wait. Are they going to do a bracketology with Trump, you think? Or does this not work anymore because it's not bracketology? (laughs) Anyways. Um, They're the only league that that openly openly endorsed him. I have the best bracket. (laughs) All of these are correct. So much winning. Trump got 65 of 65. But Syracuse didn't win the championship. Sure they did. So much winning. You're going to get sick of winning. All these pundits keep saying I didn't pick Syracuse. Sad. Um, I'll end. I'll end with this uh, this tweet, which I think summed it up perfectly. Joel Embiid, 76ers guard. Well, or S- S- Joel Embiid, 76ers center. Well, America is tanking. All we can do is trust the process. And with that, <laughs> <laughs> and with that, <laughs> we're gonna take a break.
As we just mentioned in our election recap, we want to make an effort on this show to speak with people with diverse views about culture and sports. And one of the most interesting and complex aspects of this election season and of the sports world in general is the role and views of women. Today, we're going to talk about women in sports and the impact the Trump presidency might have on those, at least in the short term, with Anna Kudak. Anna is a professor of communication and also a podcaster. She hosts the show Gendered, which shares gendered stories about sports and talks about issues pertaining to diversity. So, Anna, we want to thank you for joining the show on what is a historic, unprecedented week. Uh, You know, we started this week pretty convinced by the polls that a lot of people were casting a historic vote for the first woman president. And it turns out that the uh, presidency went to a candidate who, you know, whatever your politics and views on Donald Trump, uh, he was heavily criticized by even his own party uh, for his views and statements on women. What do you make of the swift turn? And how did um, many, not to paint everyone with the same brush, but how do you think many women uh, who were expecting Hillary to win processed the very drastic shift toward a Trump uh, victory? Well, I, it was such devastating news to go to bed to. Um, I woke up and I, I went to the polls and I thought, I'm, I'm so excited tomorrow. I'm going to stand a little bit taller. I'm going to just have even more confidence than I feel like I've already cultivated in my life and my experiences as a woman and as a parent. I have three sons um, who we are trying to raise as feminists, right? And um, I have a lot of friends who have teenage daughters and then, you know, young daughters who they were celebrating beforehand, you know, just like right. you're, you're, I mean, we brought our oldest to the polls too, and, um, we're very excited to involve him in the process and in the conversations. And I woke up, I, I went to bed shaking and then, um, woke up. I, I it felt like a death. It honestly did because it hmm. felt like, Knowing that someone, knowing that she, as qualified as she was, overqualified, which all, you know, she had so much experience and she worked so hard. It just felt like that hope was shattered. And I know a lot of people who, you know, they were just, I'm not even told my daughter because I didn't, I don't, and now this is what we're living in. And I feel lucky to have small children who only understand this small this mama, but I know people have teenagers who, who they were leaving for school crying because they're existing in a new reality where they feel insulted because we voted for someone who is, was, was like you said, derogatory in his comments again about women and other minorities. So it's been definitely a morning press. It feels like a death. Yeah. And I think it's, it's important. Devastating. Yeah. And, Look, your show covers um, you know issues of diversity and women's um, women's issues, especially as it pertains to the sports world. I think from right. a lot of people's perspectives, we're wondering now how will women in sports, uh, you know, do you expect them to be more outspoken about women issues, given that this candidate's election, you know, whether everyone agrees with it or not, a, a huge percentage of the population does now feel as though Donald Trump's election was sort of a repudiation against, um, you know, a lot of the progress we're making toward talking about women. Do you feel as though women in sports are going to become much more outspoken advocates for women's issues with Trump in the White House? 
I mean, I think we will. I think I think we will. But I think we're. Uh, that's why it's so such a bummer, you know, for it's, it's <laughs> because I feel like we've been so vocal already. You know, it's like, right? How much more vocal can we be? It's like an echo chamber. And um, I know that other people in the country, the, the ones who voted for Trump, feel that same way. You know, we're in an echo chamber. You're not listening. No one's listening to each other. But uh, what I think is is more, even more important, is that you continue to see male athletes and, like, Adam Silver, the commissioner of the NBA, who they have been LeBron James and Dwayne Wade and DeAndre Levy. These men have, I mean, they posted on Instagram, I'm with her. They they said, and they have been trying to, it's just such a frustrating moment because we're just seeing these these men, these powerful men, finally advocating for women. And now, I mean, I just hope that their voices keep getting louder. And that and because we're doing so much work, we can't do it alone. Um, and so I, I hope that we continue to see more um, male athletes. And what what worries me is that because because President Obama was in office. He had a great, he had set this tone and uh, it felt like a safe place probably for these men to finally then voice their opinions and share that they're feminists. Uh, and now I just worry that with the, the climate turning toxic towards those types of conversations that we're going to see that decrease. Um, mm-hmm. And I know women aren't going to, I don't think they're going to stop. I think they're going to keep getting louder, um, especially as the morning, this morning period sort of um, starts to taper. And and I, what I've noticed in my circles is that people are very devastated, but they're also like, okay, I got, we got to get to action here. We got to do something. Um, but we need more men involved in that conversation. We talked a little bit about, you know, you, you said women in sports are already very vocal, uh, media and athletes, about women's issues. Um, now mm-hmm. there might be, you know, that, that will likely continue and, or we might, there, women might feel pressure to do more. We know though, that when women speak out about this, there's a long documented history of harassment, um, blowback, that kind of thing. A, a fear mm-hmm. in the post-election days. And, and we know passions are always inflamed initially after an election, but a, a large fear among many women and, and minorities in this country is that, um, the the more rancorous you know segments of um you know the the electorate are going to feel emboldened do you expect oh yeah yeah do you expect that women speaking out are going to get more harassment or do you feel is this another situation where it's like well they're already getting such terrible harassment now like how much worse could it get sadly i think it's going to get worse and i think it's going to be you know i mean we all know the comment section is where you just should never go right. but you have to, but now I'm I'm worried that the comment section is going to become just every section. Yeah. <laughs> Where I mean I, I mean that's obviously overstating, but um, I yeah I do I worry that that because I know already just with people's actions, um, I had a student report that that someone had grabbed a person she knew at a gas station and said this is legal now. And that wasn't just from a BuzzFeed, you know, I, I mean, I saw, I've seen all these reports, right. like, oh my gosh, all this stuff happened in Trump day one, but this is someone I knew, you know, it's, and, and it's, 
I think that we're all going to maybe start hearing those stories and knowing the person, not just hearing about it. And that really scares me for sports. It scares me for what this this whole locker room talk comments that he made, you know, that he continued to make and argue for. Um, that that that's all it was, and yet um, this locker room he's speaking of is this mythical, just only where men are, right? Like this, wherever space, whatever space only men are is his locker room, apparently, and. Um, so I yeah I'm definitely scared that it's going to become more rampant and I this is where though those what I'm hoping happens in those comment sections is that you start to see the people who used to just scroll by and be like oh dude <laughs> that right. that they will start they will too start to feel emboldened and they too will start to say okay the but it stops I I can't not. I can't not say something to this. And I, I hope that does happen in actual locker rooms. And I hope it happens in this mythical locker room. And I hope it happens just all over the world. Do you feel as though <laughs> any women's teams will boycott trips to the White House in this first year? I definitely think that will happen. Hmm. I think, I mean, I, because I can't imagine I, I, can't, I mean, as much as that sounds so lovely to to step into the White House and, and experience that, I can't imagine going and shaking his hand. And I mean, I have I have to feel that tons of women who are athletes, even though they work so hard and they deserve it and all that, I, I'm sure, especially when, I mean, I'm, I'm in Minnesota, so the links are here and... Um, they have been very vocal about Black Lives Matter and things like that. And I don't know. I guess I just can't picture, I can't picture them feeling good about that. You know, if, if, even if they go, if they're made to go. Um, yeah, I think it's definitely something that they're going to think twice about for sure. What about, you know, I think the, the role of women and sports together is something that is far more nuanced than a lot of men really consider. I'll give you an example. I mean, I'm on the far, the far progressive side. I feel of of uh, you know men who follow and participate in the you know debate around sports. And yet, at the ESPNW summit, which I attended a few weeks ago, several times yeah. I caught myself saying, "Well, I, I'm not as progressive as I thought about about this or that." Like a good example, yeah. a good example would be a lot of times in like my world, the, the sports, like marketing side of the world, the branding side, when we think of women in sports, we think, oh, let's make a women's sports program or let's do a program about reaching uh, moms or, you know, and it's like th- these were women who were just talking about, no, I have a unique, interesting, valuable perspective on sports as a fan and right. as a woman, and I deserve that to be heard. And I just felt like it was right. a step a step ahead of even where I was. So I'm wondering from your perspective, yeah. how would you classify right now uh the dynamic between women and and the sports world and where where you're hoping for that you know uh again that to progress to uh in the coming years you know i love this question and it's it's fascinating because i've seen a lot of teams start to um start women's groups and then suddenly they're they have a pink jersey and right oh um you know it's like there's there's um 
yeah, I'm thinking of a particular they, Minnesota. Or they trot out, they trot out like Holly Robinson, Pete, to teach a class, and or Alyssa Milano yeah. to teach a class, and like how to watch sports. And it's yeah. like, geez, I think we're beyond this, right? <laughs> like John Skipper said, forty seven percent of ESPN's audience is women. Like that is a completely different yeah, world than just oh yeah, a couple women have a fantasy team, which is the way I think a lot I of know. men think about it. I know, I know, and it it, it I really am passionate about this because. By some of these teams are thinking that they're so progressive, like, oh, we have a women's group and it supports the people who work here and it supports um, the women who just like our team. And, you know, it's like there's so many different groups within that group and we all just kind of want to be at the game and enjoy it. And it's a turnoff and it, it's really embarrassing that, right. that, that there's this notion that, oh, you're cute, you're a girl who likes sports you know that's right that's cute you go you go over to this group while we have our own um cheering section and it just it feels like it's segregation it's what it's to once again say you don't belong here that mm-hmm. you can't be a real fan and there's power in being able to talk to other people about that but to have it made for you which it seems is so frequently the case where um you know, someone else is organizing this for you. You're like, can I just go to this this speaker and enjoy it <laughs> and, you know, um, gain the same things you are and something unique as well because I am coming from a different perspective. And, um, yeah, it's that's definitely something that I hope more, when, more men will become um, knowledgeable about. And I think, you know, it's, it's just like everything. that You don't know what you don't know. And, you know, even you, you didn't know that you didn't know that. <laughs> and right. so it's like the first step is, is figuring out, oh, my gosh, I didn't know that. And I'm so glad I do now. And I guess just having those open conversations and being open minded and willing to approach things with curiosity about, like, oh, why would that upset them? Huh. <laughs> Instead of being like, oh, screw you. It seems like so often that's the reaction. Let me Come ask- on. Yeah. I, let me ask you about this, too, because. When I when I watch football, I don't yeah. other than other than you know, other than the occasional oh man, that guy's a jerk, I don't really like him or you know, he's he's been arrested or whatever, I don't really like him. I'm not I'm not so much thinking about uh the sport other than just the game that's on my television and my my rooting interest in the team. I'm wondering how many women right now are finding themselves to the point where the domestic violence issues or on college campuses, the, um, you know, the lack of, uh, lack of attention and care toward sexual assault allegations. And that goes into all professional sports, all college sports. How much is this in like kind of combining to create a climate where you find yourself or some women find themselves just not wanting to be be a fan of these sports anymore? Or am I overreading the impact that these many, many cases have, um, you know, are having on, on female fans? Yeah. I mean, I think it's interesting because I, even my dad who this, this isn't related to the sexual assault cases, but my dad who, um, played football, loves football. I have three football loving brothers. They coach, they played some in college, you know, but even they, um, and they're masculine, you know, they're, 
they're masculine men, but they're, they're just even, they are turned off by the hyper-masculinity that they see uh, embodied in the NFL currently. Then I think you see a lot of women on the other side who I do think that even if they are fans, because they've been fans forever and they enjoy the, the game, and we know that sports are about so much more than just, oh, wow, good play, right? It's it's the camaraderie you feel and, and that, like, great excitement that you get when there's a an amazing play that you never thought was possible, right? And then there's this sensation of, whoa, we're in this together. There's so much that goes around for it that's not just about that thing. And to abandon it is to feel a loss as well. And But I do think that there's a lot of women who are fans who feel very much like um, just – really conflicted and embarrassed sometimes, mm-hmm. um, embarrassed that, that, you know, they're a part of the culture that they know isn't. And then there's also some people who are, who don't, some women who, who don't know these things and they're just, you know, I don't know. I think there's such a wide, wide, wide range especially I think with football. It's hard to have these types of conversations sometimes because, you can you can almost it very it very quickly can turn into oh some men feel like oh here it goes again social justice you know warriors yeah. telling me how to feel and I don't I don't think of it like that I think of it as the same thing we we just had a conversation about we need to open our minds a little bit more to the the rational end of the Trump um uh, yeah. you know spectrum and and maybe start to address wider views viewpoints and opinions. I feel like it's the same way yeah. with, with women. If if forty five if forty seven percent of the people watching ESPN are women, and so many of the um, you know, women in our lives, whether they're our kids, our sisters, um, are, are playing sports well into high school and college, um, or playing them casually in, in intramurals, we can't treat a conversation about what women want or how they view sports as a referendum on. Uh, as, as like tisk tisk, we're going to handcuff you to a certain way to do it. It's just like we have conversations about the way men feel about sports all the time. Like what's wrong with just listening right. to what women are thinking about sports. And, and instead of saying, great, you're in the boys club, be one of the boys, which I think is the way we handled right. it in the nineties yes. and early two thousands. It's like, Hey, no, yes. be yourself. We'll just, we'll be exposed to your views. Right. Yes. Right. Yeah. Like now you can talk, you can talk like us. Therefore, you're in the club, and yet, why doesn't that whole club just shift to become unified for everybody? Right. Yeah. Yeah. A, a space where everyone can feel included and not feel excluded. Well, thank you so much for joining. I, I do think it's very important. Again, you know, I think some of our listeners might hear us say, um, oh, here we go, talking social justice. But I think if, they, if they're really yeah. listening to what you're saying, they're, they're just listening to the perspectives of, uh, that represent a lot of women in sports and, 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 and women around the country who are just um, probably a little unnerved by things they saw in the campaign and are hoping to have a little bit more of a two-way dialogue uh, moving forward. Yeah, absolutely. That's the only way we can make change. So, um, Or just understand each other. And we are back. In the world of sports, Adam, how was that pause for you? It was dramatic. <laughs> In the world of sports, people get all huffy when athletes get a hobby 
or make an album or pick up painting dogs like George Bush. But we love that stuff because we know life is just work and the things that distract us from work, which is why we end every show by giving you what is distracting us this week. Joe Reed, we are starting with you. Don't even bother. Come back around. I'll try and go last. Okay. Adam. <laughs> I'm going to go with a couple of books. Um, Stoic philosophy is something I'm kind of getting into. Uh, oh, good. And <laughs> Ryan Holiday, uh, if you haven't heard of him, he used to be the director of marketing for American Apparel, uh, also uh, a best-selling author. He has two books. One is called The Obstacle is the Way. The other is called Ego is the Enemy. I'm reading Ego is the Enemy right now, waiting on The Obstacle is the Way. Obstacle is the Way is really interesting because it was kind of discovered by all these different personalities in sports with the Seattle Seahawks, um, the New England Patriots, all these people who kind of just stumbled upon this book on their own. Um, And it's become really a big hit and a bestseller overall, but particularly popular in the sports world. And I think the first Amazon viewer or a reviewer who I found summarized it best. The premise of this book is great. Instead of trying to avoid obstacles or complaining about them, embrace adversity and learn to thrive in spite of it. I like that. Boom. I love it. Mike, love he it. just dropped his papers. Paper drop. <laughs> Which we need to. Uh, my Personally, I think the way to embrace or to you know tackle adversity is by putting Michael Jordan's crying face on a popular image. I thought you were going to say whiskey. I but, thought you were going to okay. say build a wall, but that's no, wrong, too. I do drink way too much whiskey. Gareth, what's <laughs> no distracting? Thing. What's distracting you? Uh, I told, I said I've been into poetry recently. We talked to uh, Eitan Thomas. Is that the correct one? Eitan. We talked to Eitan. Eitan. But Eitan, sorry. I said I've been into poetry recently. That inspired tonight's interview with Eitan Thomas. Uh, so I wanted to end with a poem that uh, that Bruce Arthur of the Toronto, I believe the Toronto Sun, uh, tweeted out last night. He's a very active Twitter user in the sports world. I really like his feed. Uh, it's kind of in the line of Philip Larkin's This Be the Verse, which is the famous poem that opens with They Fuck You Up, Your Mom and Dad, um, which I've actually been thinking about recently in regards to parenting. And obviously, I, I've said earlier, I was pretty affected by parenting in the election and my daughter last night. And so I wanted to end with a reading of this poem that Bruce Arthur tweeted out last night called Good Bones by Maggie Smith. Life is short, though I keep this from my children. Life is short, and I've shortened mine in a thousand delicious, ill-advised ways, a thousand deliciously ill-advised ways I'll keep from my children. The world is at least 50% terrible, and that's a conservative estimate, though I keep this from my children. For every bird, there is a stone thrown at a bird. For every love child, a child broken, bagged, sunk in a lake. Life is short, and the world is at least half terrible. And for every kind stranger, there is one who would break you, though I keep this from my children. I'm trying to sell them the world. Any decent realtor, walking you through a real shithole, 
chirps on about good bones. This place could be beautiful, right? You could make this place beautiful. Nice. Damn. All right, I'm going to talk Westworld conspiracy <laughs> theories here. Um, we live in an age of conspiracy theories, and I'm all in on Westworld, okay? HBO show. I have a confession to make. I don't watch the show, but I read about it. <laughs> what? I don't have HBO, but I read this about is- it every week, and then I watch like selected YouTube clips, and I read like huge articles about what people are talking about with the show. Spencer Hall just wrote a great piece on this in regards to how he doesn't watch the NFL on SB Nation. It was basically as the NFL has become content, he follows it like he follows Game of Thrones, which is a show he doesn't watch, but he reads all the recaps and watches all the important YouTube clips. Adam, you did want us to read more, so... That's what Brad's Books. doing. Books. No, it's news. There's, there is there's a time for entertainment. So that's fine too. What I was saying, Joe, <laughs> is to read a book. Well, I like this idea. Reading, I'm of, also reading Robert Caro's Master of the Senate. It's twelve hundred pages about the Senate reign of Lyndon Johnson. Does that count? I, I think more people should apo- approach the world like Brad. I meant to say this in an earlier segment, but Brad approaches um, this show, obviously, but his daily work, and I feel like his relationships with people as a journalist should, uh, he's a very balanced guy. He's genuinely curious and he has a lot of empathy for people. And if more people were like Brad Burke, uh, I think we'd be in a better position. Yeah. I voted for Trump in three different states. Uh, <laughs> nice, dude. And I'm, and I stand I'm, by what Adam I'm said. comfortable with that. <laughs> it was a haul. Uh, that's okay. I'm billing you guys for the gas. Uh, Joe Reed, you've had time to think about it. Yeah, so I'm going to go back to... I, I haven't... Oh, been, by the way, if you're into Westworld, spoilers, go ahead, man. And I don't even watch it. So <laughs> if, you, if you get like a, a sneak screener of the finale, tweet just it at me, baby. email me the transcript. I'm ready. Anyway, so I'm going back to I I said I was distracted by grilling earlier in the year, and I think it was received with some laughs. But we eventually got Pressure's on. We eventually got down to Gareth made a good point and or Brad might have and it was about what I liked about it was the pace the pace of that it brings to your life for that brief period. Slows things down. It's more, sort of more intimate cooking process than just like zapping stuff. And so I've recently experienced something getting up earlier than I need to and having like a morning routine. Mm. I don't know if you guys do this. I feel mm. like my mornings, I kind of like sometimes we're all out of bed. Sometimes I'm into work on time. Sometimes I'm a little bit late. The creative department's kind of lax on that, but I've been like getting up early, like making my tea at home, like checking the news, getting some work emails done. And it's really refreshing. It's really nice going to bed early, getting up early. I feel like I'm trying to, I, I would recommend it. I'd recommend people try it. Try it for a week. See how you feel. You're not missing anything. By not watching Jimmy Fallon at night, you can watch him on YouTube the That's next day. Sure. Um, in fact, it's better on YouTube the next day because you can watch the whole thing in like eight minutes. Um, so I would I would recommend people try it. It's It's been really good. What you're saying is go to bed a little earlier and, and then get up, get into your day. Agreed. Also, especially now because of daylight savings, dear God, it gets dark at like 4.15. Brad came Literally. over. Brad came over. He's like, hey, I'm going to go get dinner. 
uh, over at Potbelly's. You think they're still open at this time? I was like, dude, it's five o'clock. It's like, oh shit! It looks like it's midnight. On the outside. day of daylight savings, I posted a picture of me taking a shot and being like, "Old daylight savings, Brad, <laughs> extra hour." And then I'm like, "New daylight savings, Brad." I posted me on my couch, just like wiping my forehead, and I'm just like, "End this day, someone. My daughter yeah. is so awake." <laughs> All right, that's our show this week. If you've got a distraction, a hammer, a comment, you know. Send it to us, justnotsports at gmail.com. You can find us on Instagram. You can follow us on Twitter, on Facebook, all the usual places. We are on Beam. Uh, <laughs> Joe is experimenting with their new platform after the poll. They launched that, right? That you were messing with yesterday? Oh, Exit Poll. Exit that poll was great. really interesting. Good, that could have been my distraction. For them. Damn. I really liked, I really liked uh, I really, Casey nice Neistat doing that. Like, got a good little bounce for Beam. I feel like we're early adapters. Yeah, man. Um, it was anyway, cool. Like and rate and review us on iTunes, guys. Come on. We need all the help we can get. Please. We're drowning. Yeah, finally. I mean, it's been a year, so we've been asking <laughs> some of you. We really are lazy. Oh, Another right. thing wrong with this country. Let's get, let's Can't end even with, get an iTunes review, you lazy sacks of shit. Let's end with some shout-outs. We love you. Shout-out to Atan Thomas, uh, poet extraordinaire. So glad he'd come on and talk about his craft with us. I uh, also want to give a shout-out to... How about this? Let's give a shout out to all Americans who voted, who cast a vote. However you vote, registering to vote and voting is a sacred, sacred right that millions and millions and millions of people across the world will never experience. So uh, if you went out and voted, thank you for putting the time in. And I hope we continue to make it easier for more people to vote. Even if you voted for Harambe. I saw that, a lot I'm of gonna draw a line right there, actually. I'm going to draw a line right there. If you wrote in Harambe, I don't shout you out. Yeah. You, can, I, you know, just that is childish shit. Last last you I heard it was up to 11,000 people, which is not inconsequential. Anyways. Harambe. Anyways. Kyle Long, Kyle, Kyle Long <laughs> from the Bears posted an image of his ballot. And it just said Harambe, but it was like so poorly photoshopped in. Like clearly like the way he did it, like when Chad Johnson made his own Hall of Fame jacket on the <laughs> sidelines. Right. And someone started going off and I'm like, it's illegal to cast a vote. I can't believe you waste your vote. And he's like, hey, asshole. <laughs> <laughs> it's the worst Photoshop ever. <laughs> it's a yeah. dead gorilla. He's up. Oh, All God. right, Adam, any shout outs? Um, I'd like to shout out all of these guys who made it to the polls yesterday. My boy Uzi, <laughs> Def Jeff, Lil Swanee, Meech, Ron Mack, and my other cousin Ron, who went to four polling places um, before convincing someone to let him vote, but he did. And then it. he he's voted for Jill Stein. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, of course he did. He loves her '80s pop or he '90s it, pop he, music. He thought Green Party was the, the vote for legalized pot. <laughs> Which we that's we didn't even get into. <laughs> we did Maybe not. Next time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm from Colorado. It's it's uh it's no big deal anymore. <laughs> <laughs> and with that, booty rappers. Stay booty. Stay booty. Stay booty. Stay booty. Stay booty. Stay booty.